calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a galactic football league novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies. Happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy Festivus for the rest of us. And to all you Pastafarians out there, happy holidays to you too. A real girl herself and I wish you a delightful holiday season. And remember, it's the holidays. Be nice to everyone, starting with yourself. It's the holiday season. I'll say it again. Be nice to yourself and be as nice as you can be to those people those Grinches in your life who are not going to be nice during the holidays, do the best you can. After the episode, I have a promo for the podcast Cinematica and Amalia, an awesome podcast where real scientists dive into the science of movie monsters. I was on that show recently. I had a blast. We did a deep dive into the monsters of the 2006 James Gunn horror comedy Slither. Awesome, super fun. Nathan Fillion, Elizabeth Banks movies, tons of great people in it. Stick around after the episode to hear that promo. I think you might like that show. And hey, I just passed 81% done with GFL Book 7, Second Draft. I've got the ending all blocked out, you guys. It's all downhill from here. Maybe 25, 30,000 words to go. We'll see when I can get that done. And that is it for my jibber jab. Let's get you caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go find a glowing meteor that just landed and put our faces right up next to it. Previously on The Stone Wolves, Redwire is imprisoned in the Borehole, a secret Kretorakine facility where they interrogate political prisoners. Killian, Beans, Aya, Zan, and Fanaka are now in range of that prison. It's time to plan Redwire's escape and spring him free. Chapter 12. Bat Country. The crew huddled around the rumpus room's coffee table. On it, a scattering of objects. A rumpled black t-shirt formed into a little fabric pile with an upturned bottle cap on top, a salt shaker, and six hex nuts. So that's the plan, Fanaka said. If I can really do what she says, it'll work. I have fought down an urge to say something sarcastic. 
She was mostly sure she could pull it off, but not 100% sure. The Olerun had punched out at Big Rock without incident. The IFF codes from the cube had, apparently, worked. The ship moved through Kratorakian space as an Imperial freighter. Whether that false ID would have lasted for long or not didn't matter. In the quiescence, once the Olerun had moved past the range of optical detection, it was basically invisible. So far, so good. But just because the first part of the operation had gone well didn't mean the next part was a guaranteed success. Especially when Aya wasn't sure what the next step would be. Killian leaned over the table, studied the hastily assembled war map diorama. He'd pulled his recliner up close so he didn't have to stand. Leading from his butt. So inspiring. But hey, he wasn't drinking at the moment, so Aya counted it as a win. The black t-shirt represented the borehole. The borehole was an asteroid that had been mined out for iron and later converted into the galaxy's most secret prison. The hex nuts represented the six fighters the borehole supposedly had on station. The salt shaker was the Oleron. Aya was on the couch. Beans was in her lap. He'd crawled right up. Aya hadn't known what to say, so she hadn't said anything. It surprised her that Beans was so warm. The physical contact, even from an alien species, it was nice. Schmeckzan stood at the table's edge, head tilted down, green-stuffed frog face seeming to stare at the diorama. Killing leaned back, looked at Fanaka. No, he said. Fanaka frowned. No to which part? The killing parts. You've got to be kidding me, Fanaka said. You think we can just waltz in there and knock on the front door? Aya says she can make us invisible to the borehole's remote sensor suite, but that advantage won't last long. The closer we get, the more likely a patrol fighter will see us. We need to come in fast, hit them hard, before they know what's going on. Killian shook his head. You agreed to do this my way. Oh, don't get started with that non-violent crap, killer, Fanaka said. This isn't a philosophy class. This isn't a game. The no, Killian said. The single syllable as hard as a rifle report. There are sentients there who did nothing to us. We're going to keep everyone alive, if at all possible. Fanaka looked at Killian like he'd just spoken a nonsensical string of Sklorno curses. Keep everyone alive, she said. She gestured to the diorama. And how the hell do you think we're going to do that? There is no way to get Redwire out without violence. So, what's your great plan, Mr. Pacifist? Killian sank back in his chair, an old man about to take a long nap. It's not my plan, he said. He gestured to Aya and Beans, to Zan. Crew, what have you got? Fanaka crossed her arms and scowled. She was a strong sentient, a real badass, but clearly she wasn't used to being told no. Her plan was great, if you didn't mind killing a few dozen relatively innocent prison staffers. Aya didn't know what to think. Was Skipper serious? Did he really want input on how to rescue Goldman without killing anyone? Aya hoped that was the case. Aya, Zan said, are you sure? You can pull off that invisibility trick? Aya's heart fluttered. 
Zan, again putting her on the spot. Yeah, Aya said. The plush frog looked up from the table. Its googly eyes seemed to scrutinize her. Absolutely sure? Zan asked. Unequivocally sure? Aya held her breath, felt the familiar self-doubt flood in. But there was no reason for that doubt. In the Fafner project, she'd not only trained on a Nimric, she'd hacked one during an actual op. She knew the details of those systems she wasn't even sure the creators knew. Yes, she could do what she promised. Unequivocally, she said. Fanaka sighed. So shucking what? The fighters are still flying random patrols. We can't take a chance that one of those will see us coming in. You can hack the Nemric, but you can't hack a pilot's brain. Beans twitched. Starling, can you sing? Aya bristled at the nickname, but not as much as before. Maybe she was getting used to hearing it from Beans' mouth. I can carry a tune, she said. Why? The Sklerno slid out of Aya's lap. He lay down on the floor, reached under the tattered couch, came up with something in his hand. A crinkly blue food wrapper. He placed it on the table. Or you could throw that in the garbage, Zan said, where your trash is supposed to go. The four eye stalks moved independently, looking at Fanaka, Killian, Aya, Zan. Throw it out! In the trash? He set the wrapper on the table, opposite the salt shaker, the t-shirt between them. Zan, the tin can, that's no way to treat a celebrity. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave, with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Fanaka was right about one thing. Murdering everyone in sight probably would have worked. But that wasn't how Killian did things anymore. The killer had retired. At least, that's what the killer hoped. We will reach the outer signal range of the borehole in eight minutes, Killian said. Are there any questions about the plan? They'd gathered around his command chair. Aya seemed nervous, which meant she was the only one of the group who had any common sense. Fanaka looked annoyed. Zan's frog face showed no emotion. Beans' four eyes stared off in different directions. Killian wasn't even sure if the Sklorno was paying attention at all. Fanaka raised her hand. I have a question, Captain. Oh, she was in bitch mode. Excellent. Go ahead, Killian said. Fanaka raised an eyebrow. 
Is there something in those beers you keep pounding that makes you think this idiotic plan is actually going to work? Stow it, Hopscotch, Killian said. We're committed. Zan, you have that false ship signal ready to go? Affirmative, Skipper, Schmeck Zan said. Zan always delivered. Always. Excellent, Killian said. Beans, you're on cannons, just in case we need them. But try your very best to not need them. No, 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 non-lethal whenever possible. Affirmative. And keep at least two of your eyes on our power levels, Killian said. We're two days from the punch spot at Big Rock, so if we have to run, we need as much continued acceleration as we can get. Aya, you're good? To Killian, the tattooed, purple-skinned beauty didn't look like an experienced SIGINT operative. She looked like a kid, trying hard to hide the terror of a pending battle. He had a soft spot for that look. He'd had it once, long ago. He'd lost it. He hoped Aya never would. The girl nodded. Then we are ready to go, Killian said. Six minutes, to your stations. Beans, Aya, and Zan obeyed. Fanaka stayed. And what are you doing? In this ridiculous plan again? I'm flying, Killian said. And what am I doing? Staying out of the way until we land. Fanaka leaned closer, whispered. Your plan is idiotic. I know you've got tower missile batteries. Fire those missiles into the landing shaft before the borehole knows we're here. Destroy their ships before they can launch. We know Sentients are going to die today. Don't make those sentients be us. My crew has a plan, Killian said, loud enough for his crew to hear it. Five minutes until we send the signal. Take a seat, Fanaka. She shook her head, walked to the acceleration chair. Peaches click-clicked along behind her. Killian closed his eyes, breathed slowly. He calmed himself, ran through the plan in his head. The scheme was ridiculous. There was no other word for it. But unless he wanted to come in cannons ablazing, he needed to trust his crew's abilities and give this a shot. If the scheme didn't work, Killian knew he would have to be realistic and do what had to be done. He owed it to Redwire. Beans bounced in place on his tiny custom-built chair, humming something that sounded like an off-key rendition of Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries. Two of his eyes swayed in time with his humming. The other two remained firmly focused on his station's holotanks. One minute, Zan said. Aya's hand slid across the key control skins Beans had made for her. Was she really as good as she claimed? Killian and the others would find out soon enough. Aya's familiarity with the borehole system was a massive break. Sometimes, most times actually, a little bit of luck marked the difference between surviving an op and winding up as a chunk of splattered meat. A massive break. Killian opened his eyes. Luck was a thing, but so were odds. What were the odds of his new comms operator just happening to have deep familiarity with a type of control system the borehole used? That seemed... Ten seconds, Zan said. Killian came back to the moment. He flicked his fingers out three times, then took the holo grips. We are in signal range of the borehole, Zan said. 
Aya, proceed. Launching tight beam signal, Aya said. If all goes well, their techs will see a random flicker of that incoming signal, then nothing more from us. And if things did not go well, if she couldn't do what she said she could do, the Oleron would be facing as many as six Imperial fighter craft. Killian stared out the floor-to-ceiling windshield. So much blackness. Instruments told him where the borehole was, but, of course, he could not see the asteroid from this far out, not with the naked eye. The quiescence dulled all signals, even light. A sound inordinately loud in the now silent bridge. Aya, Killian said. What are you waiting for? Oh, hold your tentacle, old-timer, the girl snapped. Killian turned in his chair to look at her. Had his comms just told the ship commander to hold his tentacle? Aya Omiata might fit in here after all. She looked up from her station. Success, I think. We should be skins and viz to the borehole sensors. Should be, Zan said, her tone sharp. I assume your rambling lexicon was referring to us being invisible. Can they detect us or not? The purple girl licked her lips, shrugged. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Killian waited. Nothing happened. Confirmed, Aya said. I have shadow control of the borehole system. There is no response to our presence, no alarms, no reaction chatter. Quiet as a fart in space out there. Killian waited some more, wondering if the other shoe would drop. Fanaka broke the silence. Outstanding work, Aya, she said. I knew you could do it. Fanaka knew. Killian glanced at his former comrade, his former lover. That look on her face, cold, self-satisfied. Was he missing something? No, of course she looked satisfied. She'd put a big operation together to get the info on the borehole, then to find Killian, then to bring the Oleron to the asteroid. An impossible mission by most standards, and yet, here they were. So far, so good but they had many light years to go before they could sleep. Aya, Killian said. What's your level of control? Can you access internal systems as well? Aya instantly shook her head. Hapananana. It looks like their system has a bifold configuration. In effect, their Nemeric is two separate computers, one that manages all external sensors and communication, and one that apparently manages all internal functions. To access those, I need a direct connection to an internal node. From here, all I can influence are external signals. Not the best news Killian could have hoped for, but if Aya's skills could get them in unseen, that was a huge benefit. We'll figure it out once we're inside, he said. Zan, is your false signature ready to go? Yes, Skipper. Aya's abilities to influence sensors were untested, but Zan's false signature skills were anything but. When it came to making Ship X look like Ship Y, Zan was a genius. There was no other word for her abilities in that category. Patrolcraft, Killian said. Any indication they're out there? That was the primary threat at the moment. Aya had control of the borehole sensors, but she could not influence what fighter pilots saw with their own eyes. I am picking up zero chatter, Aya said. No optical movements or energy signatures, Zan said. 
Well, how about that? Aya had pulled it off. That won't last, Killian said. Even complacent and lazy guards patrol sooner or later. Let's get the show on the road. The first part of the plan had worked. Would the second? Fun, Bean said. Aya Papaya, are you ready to sing? Aya closed her eyes, took in a deep breath, held it for a long moment, and then began making hmm and mmm sounds with her mouth. After that, she began to speak. Putukutu, budukudu, wee-wa, wee-wa, wee-wa. Fanaka sneered in disgust. Killer, I can't believe you're letting them do this. What the hell happened to you? I grew up, he said. Considering what was to come next, he realized how idiotic his comments sounded. Aya made a few trilling sounds now, rolling an R for a good ten seconds, and then said, in rapid succession, A well-worn warrior warded the wizard. Around the rugged rocks, the ragged rascals ran. Apex to the slapex. How many berries would a spider bear bury if a spider bear could bury berries? Aya, warming up her rather delightful singing voice. Fanaka looked at the girl as if she'd lost her mind. The swan swam over the pond, Aya said. Swim, swan, swim. The swan swam back again. Well, swim, swan. She opened her eyes and nodded. Ready, light it up, Zan. Zan Schmeckhands danced across her station's controls. Mirage program loaded, she said. Also, I would like to point out that human music leaves much to be desired. A preposterous claim, Bean said. Trench warfare is the greatest cultural accomplishment of any sentient race. Zan, if it's too loud, you're too old. Jokes. Teasing. The Oleran was about to dive into a life-and-death situation, and the crew was making fun of things, keeping it light. It reminded Killian of his days with the Null Knives, or on the Keeling, or in the Stone Wolves. Sentients faced danger in different ways. Some, this crew in particular, did so with humor. The words of an ancient Greek philosopher came to mind. He didn't remember the name, but he remembered the quote. They're going to nail us no matter what we do, so we might as well have a good time. Activating, Zan said. Zetadeth Mirage is active. In the main holotank, a new icon appeared. The yacht Zetadeth, the tour bus of the famed band Trench Warfare. Beans hooted. The biggest band in the history of ever. He strummed an air guitar with his raspers and began to sing. Shatter mine, glass heart smash, release me from this prison. Gods and monsters, hear my scream, answer my entreaty to reason. Fanaka crossed her arms and shook her head. If stairs were lasers, she could have sliced the entire crew in half. Killer, back in the day, we knew every hack, every trick, she said. I've never heard of anyone anywhere being able to do anything like this. That was because Fanaka had never heard of Zan. Zan's genius was on another level. She had created an entire world. Granted, that world had eventually blown up and Zan had been blamed for it, but that didn't alter what she'd accomplished.
Killian had thousands of lives on his conscience. Zan had more than a billion. And only she could perform this kind of sensor-warping wizardry. It required legit superintelligence to understand and execute the math, to say nothing of making sense of the menagerie of modified sensor and comms tech, all homebrewed and installed by Beans. I'm getting chatter, Aya said. The borehole system sees the yacht. The prison staff the prison staff is starting to react. The holotank showed an interesting irony. The Zeta Death, which did not exist, appeared in the tank, while the Oleron, which did exist, did not. The only accurate thing in the display was the asteroid, which was growing larger and would soon be visible through the windshield. Aya, you're up, Killian said. Let's see if this works. Aya did a final vocal warm-up, pink lorry, yellow lorry, pink lorry, yellow lorry, and then activated the ship's inner space transmitter. The Oleron was now broadcasting into the ether. Mayday! Mayday! Aya said, in her best impression of one of the galaxy's most famous people. Oh, this is Somalia Midori, aboard the inestimable class yacht Zetadeth. Something is wrong with our punch thingy that makes the ship go zoom, and all my crew ate some tainted shushlicks, and they're all in the bathroom, and they can't help, and mayday, mayday. Killian grunted a chuckle. Beans covered his mouth with his raspers in his hands. Fanaka seemed awed by the craziness unfolding before her. A static crackle on the bridge's speaker film. Ah, Zenodeth, this is the Imperial Stealth Cruiser Crosswind. A human voice. You are in restricted Kretorakian Empire territory. Killian made a cut-it-off gesture to Aya. She pressed a button, muting the transmitter. He turned to face Zan. A stealth cruiser? Is that for real? Zan's face tracked readouts at her station. No, she said. The signal is coming from the borehole. There are no ships nearby. That made sense. The bats didn't want anyone to know the borehole was there at all. Having the staff pretend the facility was a stealth cruiser could let them deal with trespassers, yet not show all their cards. Subterfuge all around, it seemed. Aya turned off the mute button. Oh, Lord, help me! We're out of control, and my mohawk is getting messed up, and we're all gonna die! She turned it on again, started laughing. I think you're overdoing it a bit, Killian said. Beans stood up on his chair. She is a natural skipper. Higher emotion is more confusing for the responders. He stretched a tentacle toward her. Come on, Aya! Give me more! The crackling voice over the speaker film, now a little clearer. Oh, Death, you will turn off all engines and transmit boarding codes immediately. I unmuted, threw her head back, raised her hands to the ceiling. Don't you see? I can't control anything. My makeup is a mess. I don't know what an engine control even looks like. Please help us. We don't want to die. We are so very rich. And this sucks. And my crew is sick on expired shushalix we bought at a Gans Prime truck stop. I unmuted the transmitter. Borehole is launching fighters, Zan said. Killian still couldn't quite make out the borehole visually, but there was no mistaking the seven tiny lights that flickered away from the spot. Isaacs, Zan said. 
two Meteora class, three Coriolis class, and one Guppy class. And the Carcelero, which I assume they intend to use for docking and boarding. Fanaka nodded. Six fighters. I told you my source was good. Meteora class, I said. For real? Those are some old-ass ships. That they were. Meteoras were made before the takeover. Killian had flown one once, long ago. The bats have been in absolute control for 45 years, Fanaka said. Aside from the guild's activities, they haven't faced a significant military threat other than the Prowat. Why not have a handful of rust buckets guarding the prison? It's not like anyone's going to attack it. No one even knows where it is. Static screeched from the speaker film. Shut death, we are inbound. You are illegally in Imperial space. Please decelerate and prepare to be boarded. Aya unmuted. Oh no, I think I just broke a nail and we're going faster now and... Wait, what's that alarm thingy? It says punch drive overload? We're going to die! I see the darkness of eternity and oh my god, it's full of stars! She again clicked the mute button. In the holotank, the Zetadeth shot away, faded, winked out. The fighters chased after the imaginary ship. In seconds, their visible lights dimmed. Then, one by one, they winked out as the quiescence inexplicable interference blocked out all wavelengths. The known facility vessels are now out of visual range, Zan said. Killian nodded. And we haven't been spotted? No response to our approach, Zan said. Aya's hack seems to be holding. Our plan appears to have worked. Fanaka crossed her arms. This is absurd. Killian couldn't argue with that. Overwhelming an opponent's tactical info is a solid strategy, Killian said, as he eased back into his command chair. We gave them too much data to process. Misdirection is the primary weapon of a smuggler. Make sentience look the wrong way while you move past. Had using a famous ship and a famous sentient helped the ruse? Probably, but there was no way to be sure. All Killian knew was that it gave the borehole staff more to think about. Whether they believed or not didn't matter. Their entire defensive complement had chased after the ghost, leaving a window for the Oleran to slip in unseen. Hopefully unseen, that was. Through the bridge window, Killian could now clearly see the asteroid. Its merciless, scarred surface seemed to promise a terrible death to anyone with the unbridled gall to invade its sanctum. Gitzak Goldman, Redwire, was somewhere inside. Killian and his crew weren't out of the woods yet, not even close, but, yes, the plan had worked. So far, zero deaths. Would that luck hold? Banaka, he said. Work with Aya to reach your contact on the inside. Zan, put the landing location up on the tank. Let's move to step three. The Oleran wasn't invisible to all of the borehole sensors. Thanks to Aya's abilities, though, it might as well have been, as the signals received from those sensors were hijacked and modified before they reached the staff or any automated alarm systems. Killian still couldn't believe their luck. What were the odds 
that Aya was a maestro at hacking the very computer system that the borehole used. It seemed a bizarre coincidence. There was something hinky about it, though Killian felt too far out of his depth to even begin to suss out what it was. He'd been away from this kind of game for far too long. Ultimately, it didn't matter. They'd made it into the borehole without killing anyone, and if Killian continued to have his way, it'd stay like that until the op was over. Under that technological blanket of darkness, Killian set the ship down where the inside contact had told them to set down, at a backup docking shaft on the big asteroid's underside. Underside was a relative term, of course, as there was no up or down reference point until one was inside and in the presence of artificial gravity. The docking shaft was typical of the facility's quith design. The shaft provided access to the interior. Ships could dock at several berths built into the shaft's curved sides. Killian wondered how long it had been since the shaft had been used. According to Fanaka's information, the prison used the larger, primary, topside shaft exclusively. The plan was simple, yet about to get even more dangerous. The inside contact would meet them in the smaller landing shaft's airlock. As far as Killian knew, there could be a small army of bats waiting for him, Fanaka, and the crew. Rescuing Redwire was worth the risk. Killian and the crew gathered in hold five. They checked their gear and prepared to exit the airlock and enter the facility. Use non-lethals as your primary option, he said. If things go bad, don't hesitate to use lethal options. We want to preserve lives, but not at the expense of our own. Aya shifted her grip on her tough luck gun, nodded. She looked kind of ridiculous holding the thing, which was almost as big as she was, but there was nothing ridiculous about how well the weapon worked. Beans' Schmeck didn't move at all. Killian assumed the Sklorno was doing internal systems checks. Fanaka bounced on the balls of her feet. She'd always done that before combat, trying to keep her anxious energy under control. She was a far better planner than she was a soldier, but Killian knew firsthand that she could hold her own in a fight. Would she follow his orders and try to avoid killing anyone? He would find out soon enough. Peaches, her little robot, was perched on an empty exosuit hanging from a rig on the bulkhead. The bot might have come in handy on the op, but then again, it was independent enough Killian couldn't count on it to follow, or even understand for that matter, his orders. He didn't speak key. Fortunately, Fanaka had seen the wisdom of leaving Peaches behind. It wasn't a combat unit, and she didn't want to lose something she'd spent so much time perfecting to her liking. Killian adjusted his void cloak, double-checked the image generator cables. Everything felt right. With the cloak, he could blend almost invisibly with any shadow, any dark area. Only bright, direct light would reveal his presence to most sentients or sensors, and even then, he could usually fade into the background. Let's go over it again, Killian said. We used the secondary landing shaft's airlock to enter the facility with the access code provided by the contact. The area we're going in hasn't been used for years. We progress through the tunnels to the rendezvous point, which is apparently storage for old mining mechs and equipment for doing any external work on the asteroid's surface. Once there, the contact will tell us the plan for extricating Goldman. Whether we get internal control or not, Fanaka said, 
we go in, find Goldman, and get him out by any means necessary. Even through the constant Nasdor haze, Killian felt a flash of anger. Remember, Fanaka, no killing, he said. If you think I'm not serious about that, you will find out you're wrong. Her eyes narrowed. Was she surprised that Killian had just threatened her? Probably, because he was definitely surprised he had. We get Goldman and come back out the same way we go in, she said. Aya continues her external sensor hack, making us invisible. We get the hell out of here. When I have Goldman in my ship and we leave the quiescence, you all get your money. When you get paid, you open the Oleron's cargo hatch and I take off. I will be out of your lives forever. Was that the truth? Part of Killian wanted exactly that, and part of him did not. Once he was back on the Oleron with Redwire and Hopscotch, what would that be like? Three-fifths of the Stone Wolves back together again. Just like old times. Almost. Let's get it done, he said. Beans, open the hatch. Hi, I'm Sam. And I'm Adam. Have you ever wondered how big King Kong's heart would be? How the creatures of the wizarding world would evolve in real life? Or how Simba's time on Pride Rock would actually have played out? If so, then do we have the oddly specific podcast for you. Run by two ecologists, a writer, and a veterinarian, Cinematica Animalia is your weekly foray into the biology of movie monsters. So join us and our co-hosts Libby and Dave every week as we explore everything from kaiju-filled ecosystems to gothic horror biology to mermaid sex. At Cinematica Animalia, the monsters aren't real, but the science is. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler. Engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my two wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I'm hoping to open up the conversation about balancing careers and family. The one thing I constantly hear successful people say, without fail, is that they wish they'd spent more time with their kids. That's time no one can get back. So I decided to create Business Dad, to engage in the conversation about how we're spending our time now, providing a forum for successful dads to share their joys and challenges of being a working parent. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, 
from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier. And while this podcast will talk about business and will definitely be featuring dads, I think everyone can learn something from these incredible conversations as we unpack the expectations we all have about careers, relationships, and ourselves. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.